and, and so that he could bring us out to bring us into the land. And then we talked about that other key word, right? Surrender. And that, man, God brought the nation of Israel through the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. Why? Because if they saw war, they were going to repent and go back to Egypt. And during that whole time, he's trying to win your heart and mind, right? He won your soul in Egypt. But during that time in the wilderness, he's trying to win your heart and mind so that you would trust him. That you would surrender. And we know that maybe through the battles and through the, the manna and through the water and through those things, God was proving to this nation that once we're slaves, you can trust me. I, I don't want you to have a yak attack in battle. Right? That's not the time to have a yak attack. I need you to be settled in your heart and mind and I will take care of you. I will guide you. I will provide for you. Right? And I want to dwell with you. I need you to surrender. Your heart reminds me. I need your life. We find that they get to that, that time where they're about to enter the land and those ten spies man freak the nation out and melts their heart. And what happens? But they turn away. But there were two, right? There were two that had surrendered, that God had proven enough to them to say, okay, I want to go in. Let's not rebel. As in Joshua and Caleb. So we talked about that, that surrender. And we talked about how does a slave go to a soldier and how does a soldier become a leader of soldiers? How does Joshua, who knew not how to fight, but only knew how to take a whip, how to take the licks, that's all he knew, could come to the point not only be in the battle, but leading the fight. And we talked about that key word, and that's gonna, what's going to get you in the fight is going to be your submission. We talked about it first, that your submission has to be to discipleship and your discipler. If you would just submit to your discipler, your discipler will get you in the fight. See, when Joshua submitted to Moses, not only did Moses teach him how to have an interactive relationship with the Lord, which is key to the battle, he also taught him how to submit to God. And how did Moses teach Joshua to do that? Hey, there's a battle over here. I need you to go do this. And Joshua's like, all right. And he gets in the battle because his discipler said it's time for you to go do the battle. And so we talked about the importance of submitting to the process of discipleship. That's how God ordained it to be. And if you really want to get in the battle, the two... You need to submit to discipleship. And I hope, man, you made some decisions last time. And I told you this is kind of two-part. The submission part, not only to your discipler, but you're also the submission to your father. I'm going to share everyone's life verse. I'm sure this is your life verse this morning. Right? Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Right? This is your life verse. Right? I mean, this is the one that you're like, every morning you kind of, kind of put in your heart. And you draw it out. You're like, this is my whole Goal of my life. Okay, Ephesians 6, you guys know it, right? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Time out. Some of you guys are already checking out because you've heard this verse that you're wee little man. Okay? Stay with me, alright? Verse 2. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee that thou mayest live long on the earth. Your life verse, right? 
Kind of disaster. Okay. Get out of Sunday school. Get out of elementary. Get out of, I've heard this verse over and over at every VBS, at every, every kindergarten class, and whatever the classes you've been in. I've heard it from my parents every day. Get past that for a second. And put that on the shelf. When you hear or read this verse, what feelings are produced in you? Maybe we gotta read it again. Okay, we've taken that hat off, that that elementary mindset, that Sunday school mindset, toss it over here. Let's reread this and, and just what stirs in you when you hear this? What thoughts come into your mind when we read this? Ready? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment we promise. And it may be well with thee. And thou mayest live long on the earth. What thoughts come into your mind when I say you need to obey your parents and honor them? The simple questions I got. The simple. I'm leading you somewhere, so let those emotions rise. Let those thoughts come to the surface. Real simple. Do you obey your parents? Yes or no? You answer the, you remember, not answering is answering the question. Do you obey your parents? Immediately, exactly, with the right heart attitude. Have you heard that definition? I don't want to mock it. It's a, a truly a biblical definition. Do you obey them? Here's the tougher one. You may do what they say. You may go through the motions. Do you honor them? Do you honor them? Yes or no? Maybe I go a little lower, a little deeper. Do you obey your dad? Do you have a desire to honor him? Why, when I may throw the dad in there, why does it hit the heart a little different? You know, what's interesting, in both places, Ephesians 6 and Colossians chapter 3, you're commanded to obey your parents. But you know, have you ever noticed, and maybe some of you adults, have you ever noticed it just keeps going through all these responsibilities and roles? But you know the one that's kind of, it is, it's always left out? The mother. Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 don't have any instruction to the mother. It's just, it's an interesting thing. It's never mentioned. There's no instruction there. And I have my reasoning and we can talk about it another time. But Paul wants to make it very clear. That, that the fathers have a specific role in their life. And here's Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. It says this. And the fathers, any fathers, I think if you go one more, there you go. Any fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Any fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Colossians 3, 20 and 21 says this, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, 
Provoke not your children to anger, lest they be, what does it say? Discouraged. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says that, man, a father has this power to provoke a child to wrath. You know what wrath is? Is that anger that was in here and it's being fleshed out. It's coming out in rage. It's wrath. It's something that started here in the form of anger and rah, comes out. It's like a monster. You know what's interesting is his father would have has this power to provoke you potentially to be a, a wrathful person and what that would look like is maybe we say a spirited kid. A spirited teen. You would even see it as an adult. I'll show you, Dad, kind of mentality. They're driven. They push themselves to succeed. Why? Because Dad somewhere, somehow provoked them to anger and it's coming out around. And I, Dad, I'll show you. I'll be on the top. I'll be number one. I'll be the best. Man, you, you, you don't think I'm good? Man, watch this. And they're given the things so their dad will pay attention to them. And it's driven by this, this hurt. It's producing that anger. It's coming into wrath. Colossians 3. Well, let me tell you a story. So, my dad was, was always my baseball coach. He just was always was that. I played baseball since I was a wee, wee little man. And I played all the way up to high school ball. I'll tell that story made tonight. And so I have one very vivid memory of my dad when I was playing baseball uh, when I was very young. He hated I mean, it, it was a disgust if we struck out. Now, he didn't care really that much if we struck out swinging, but what burned him was if we struck out watching. She said he hated it. And so I'm up the bat. I'm sitting there, my dad's first base coach, and he just came from work, so he's still in his slacks, he's still in his white button-down shirt, business tie that he would tuck into his shirt. He's on first base, he, he was running late, so that he couldn't have time to change. He's sitting down on first baseline, and one. Two, and we get to that third strike, and I watch it go by. I remember looking down first baseline, and my dad, he would be down like this. He just hung his head and shook it like this. And I caused a wound, and I'm like, man. You know what I determined? I'm never going to strike out again. You know what it did? It drove me to be a good hitter, man. I... I didn't strike out much. I, I, I always put the ball in play, but you know what I never had? I could never figure out how to have power because I was so worried about not striking out. All because of a look my dad gave me down first baseline. Now, I said, again, I haven't grown since eighth grade. Everybody's like, dude, you should be knocking them out. What's the deal? One moment my dad had put me in a place of fear and anger. And my whole life when it came to baseball around swinging was based on that. It's crazy, this power our dads have. 
There's also in Colossians chapter 3, it talks about being discouraged. And so you have kids that are teens that, man, they're fire, they're passionate. And, man, they're doing a lot. And they get a lot of praise for it because it looks like they're accomplishing things, but it's not coming from the right heart. But then you have the opposite where a father does something to provoke anger in a child and, it, and they become discouraged. This would be your non-spirited kid. This would be the person that can just do everything you can and they just don't want to do anything. They don't want to get off the couch. You ever heard these days? Just do get off the couch. Just do something with your life. I don't care what it is. Just do something. Right? Well, why are you into this? Why are you into that? And you're just, just you're going through the motions. A lot of it is you've tried something. And because your dad didn't say good job, or your dad kind of said a cutting word, like, couldn't you be better? Couldn't you do this? And what that produces is just this discouragement where you're like, you know what? Why should I even try again? Why should I even move? Why should I even care what my dad thinks? I'm just going to do my thing and he can yell at me. He can try to make me do all this stuff. He can maybe try to give me my Bible. I just don't care. And it's discouraged. Our fathers have some major influence in our lives. Maybe even to the point we don't know it. And, and this morning and into tonight, I want to adventure into this territory it may become a little emotional. I don't want to try to force emotions, but it's our dads we're going to be talking about, whether you have them or not, whether they're around or not, whether they're involved or not. Your dad doesn't stop having an impact on you. There's two things your dad has. In Either your dad has a positive influence or a negative influence. He doesn't have a neutral influence. So even if you never knew your dad a day in your life, it still has an influence on you. We'll talk about some of that as we move forward, but we're moving into the territory. Your dad can have a positive or a negative. And what you do with that influence determines what fight you will be in. You want to be in the right fight? It's going to deal with start with your dad. Turn with me, if you can, to 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 through 10. It's a long passage, so it's not on, it's not going to be in or on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want you to see how David gets in the fight. Again, this would be another Sunday school story that you probably heard over and over and over. It's David and Goliath. But I never noticed until, man, just a couple years ago. You know, it wasn't like just David walked onto the battlefield that day. It, it wasn't like just David showed up and like, oh, there's a giant. Let's go do this thing. There's something that he did that got him in the fight. And if we could realize this as teenagers, you'll find you'll get yourself in the battle. And you'll find yourself successful. Before we do this, let's pray. Is everybody there? If you're there, say yeah. yeah. Okay, let's pray. Father, we need you right now. You are our Heavenly Father, and you know better than I do, Lord. You want to guide us this morning. You want to show us the truths that will set us free, and we can have victory. 
And Lord, you have done some amazing things by setting us, setting up this institute of the family. And it was meant for a very specific purpose. And so I pray that we would see that and see how it correlates with the battle. That not only do we need to submit to our disciple, Lord, we have to submit to the physical authority you've given us and how it works in our in our relationship with you and works in the relationship with this fight we're in, this battle. And Lord, you are a man of war, but you, you want us to join you in the fight. If we don't deal with this, I believe many of these teenagers will never join you. And so Lord, let us grasp this through the day. From tonight, this morning to tonight, Lord, help us see these things. We love you in the name. Amen. Okay, uh, have you ever done this where somebody stops and you fill in the word? Have you ever done that? Someone's reading the Bible and you fill in? Okay. I'm not getting a lot of head nods. You ever been there? Okay, when I stop, I want you to fill in the word, right? All right, we're starting at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to... Oh, that's pretty good. All right, now you get it? Let's try it again. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to... Oh, man, that's good. All right, and we're gathered together at... Yeah. <laughs> Which belonged to Judah, pitched between Shoko and in. <laughs> I'm making you do it because I can't. Okay, verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Eli and set the in array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. He had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a, sheed, a shield went before him. Okay. Can I just give you the... I'm sure you've heard this. He's like, Goliath's like 9 foot 11. I mean, he's a pretty big dude, but not only big. If you take the measurements of his, what could be his armor, and you actually weigh it, his armor alone weighed like 200 pounds plus. And then he's going to fight. All right, so here. Are you, are you strong? Okay, turn around. I'm going to jump on your back. All right, you, can, you think you got me? Well, okay. I got to talk to you. Okay, so. All right, ooh. All right, so. Here's the deal. Okay, I'm like 200 pounds plus. He ain't doing any battle with me on him. Right? So, yeah, you see the picture? Did you get it? Oh, she got it. Okay. I'll pay for your back surgery. Okay, so. Just do that to get a picture. This dude's got 200 pounds of weight on him. And he's a champion. He's a man of war. He can do battle. Right? This ain't no joke. Right? And so continue with me here. Uh, where are we? Okay, verse, let's verse 8. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said to them, Why are you come out to set your in array? Am not I a Philistine, you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you. Let him come down to me. And he be able to. Oh. 
with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. There's champions calling out the nation of Israel. I know you guys know this story, but do you see the battle? I mean, it's, it's said constantly. God's trying to prove a point. There's a battle. There's a fight. There's this champion. He's calling out the nation of Israel. Hey, give me somebody. Let's rumble. Now jump down to verse 12. It says, now David. Now David was the son of the Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. He had eight sons, and the man went among for an old man in the days of Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his, to feed his, in verse 15, oh, I'm sorry, I jumped to verse 15, I didn't tell you, I jumped. I just had a yak attack, I just jumped off the cliff, and you didn't follow me, good job, right? That's horrible, jumped down to verse 15. But David, but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. He's not in the battle. What's he doing? He's taking care of his father's business. He's doing what his father told him. He's being obedient to his dad. The battle's going on down here, and his brother's in it. And, and being David, he's passionate. He's passionate about the things of the Lord. So you would think his heart would want to be where the battle's at. But no, he's submissive to his physical father. He looks like he's out of the battle, but the submission is putting him with the sheep. And look on. Verse 17. And Jesse said unto David his, Take now for thy brethren Ephah, for his parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Verse 20. And David rose up early in the morning, and left the sheep with a keeper, and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. He's just being obedient to his dad. He's just being submissive. He's doing exactly what he's been asked to do. And look where he ends up. And he came to the trench. As the host was going forward to the... And shouted for the battle. Verse 21. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array. Army against army. His submission to his father put him into the battle. We know the, that whole story, right? But not only did his submission to his father put him into the battle, that same submission had also prepared him for the battle. Remember, he, he kind of like, is there not a cause? You know, and he stands in front of the multitude. He's one of the two. You know, he's, he's surrendered, and there's no question to his surrender. I mean, he's about to face this giant. He trusts the Lord, and he's, his heart and mind have been given to the Lord. And he's coming, ready to do battle, and so they send him to Saul in, in verse 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go in with this Philistine. And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his Oh, I, I jumped the verse again. I got it. Okay, listen, it was late night, early morning. All right, 34. 
And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Verse 36, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defiled the armies of the living God. Verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord will be with me. With me. The reason he got was in the place that he could face Goliath because he was keeping his father's sheep. And while he was keeping his father's sheep, being obedient to him, he got prepared by, in battle. How? Well, man, he faced the lion. He faced the bear. And that paw of that lion couldn't stop him. The paw of that bear couldn't stop him. All because he listened to Paul. Right? He just obeyed. And he took care of the sheep. And in doing that, that prepared him to take Goliath. This is how crucial it is to learn how to submit to your physical authority because when it does, it not only prepares you for battle, it puts you into it. But this is one of the biggest issues of teenagers, isn't it? To obey their dad and to honor him. Submission to your parents and especially your dad puts you into the fight. You see, David has a son named Absalom. Right? Some of you guys look like him. Where's my Absalom's at? Flowing hair. Right? Right? It, it wait, oh, there, there's one. Okay, so this flowing, Absalom had this flowing hair, man. It's these Goldilocks, and they look, they're great. Right? And so. He has his son, and David loved Absalom dearly. But David had got caught in some sin, and that affected his judgment. And one of his sons raped his half-sister. You guys know this story? You need to go read it. It's, it's really crazy. His, one of David's sons begins to fall. It's just wicked, right? Falls for his half-sister, and... He makes up this whole lie that he's sick and he wants his half-sister to come bring some cakes and make him some food and while he does that, he forces himself upon her. He's sad. And Absalom cared for his sister deeply. And he's waiting for dad. What you gonna do, dad? You gonna take care of this, dad? You gonna fix this, dad? And it seemed like David wasn't gonna do anything Two whole years go by and nothing is dealt with. No, there's no one that comes to the aid of Tamar. No one deals with the, man, that half-brother of Absalom. And so he's deeply wounded by his father. They didn't do what he needed to do. And so Absalom, Absalom's anger turns to wrath and he does something about it. If dad ain't going to do it, I'm going to do it. And he goes and kills his half-brother. He goes and takes him out. David is ticked and sad. And so Absalom runs. And for three years has no connection to his dad. He's rebelling. He's running. I want you to see something. 
Absalom is in a fight. But the wrong fight. He's fighting his dad. He's fighting his dad, the king. In 2 Samuel chapter 14, Absalom is brought back to Jerusalem. But the king, his dad, didn't see his face for two more years. He's been separated from his dad for five years over this issue. This, at this time, Absalom is beginning to have kids. He's beginning to have a life. And his dad is having no part of it. He, man, would that hurt? Like, you think you're justified because you're coming to the aid of your sister because your dad didn't do it. And now you're the bad guy. You're the guy that he doesn't talk to. When my half-brother did this horrible act, and so where's the anger? It's coming out. And he does this thing in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 29. I think I have it up there. Yeah. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to set, have set him to the king. But he would not come to him. And when he had sent again the second time, he would not come. Absalom is wanting to be in front of his father. But Joab won't let him go. He won't answer him. Verse 30, therefore he said unto his servant, See, Joab's field is near mine. We have some barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom from his house and said, Wherefore have thy servant set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Job, Behold, I said unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king, to say, Wherefore I am come to Geshur. It had been good for me to have been there still. Now, therefore, let me see. Hear this cry of this, this son. Let me see the king's face. If there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. Did you hear the anger, the hurt, the wounds? So Joab came to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king, bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. Listen, Absalom had to set a field on fire to get his dad's attention. Some of you can relate. You may not even know it, but the only time you get your dad's attention is when you're doing something wrong. It's the only time he may come into your life and actually have a conversation with you. It's when you messed up. You know what? Even though it's not the greatest attention, at least it's something, right? At least it's something. Counselor, man, this morning you got to hear you got to hear with two ears. One for the teens and one for your own life. And this may explain why sometimes teens just rebel like crazy. And they just burn things up. And they just burn bridges. Because they're just trying to get some attention. You know, hurting people hurt people. That's kind of what happens. And so counselors, you can see that. They cause you hurt. It has nothing to do really with you. They're just hurting inside. They're just wanting some attention. So they'll push your buttons. They'll spit on you. I had a kid spit on me once. He spit and rubbed it down my side. And I'm like, dude, hold up. 
And I could have really just tore him up, but I knew his dad, his dad was, his dad was a jerk, there's no better word for it. And he was just trying to get my attention. The only way he knew how, and the way he did with his dad, was to get us ticked off, so now you're at least paying attention. That's gonna be fun. Can you guys pay attention without the mower? Okay, good. But here, Absalom, all he wants is his dad to be part of his life, but dad's heart was on something else. So he's going to get dad's attention. I'll show him. And so from this point on, he's loud in Jerusalem, but still the relationship hasn't been reconciled. And so he's sitting at the gate. And as people were coming in, he began to steal the hearts away from his dad. After some time, what happens is as the wrath of Absalom keeps being poured out, as he's fighting his dad, Absalom takes his dad's kingdom. Absalom finally wins over his old man. He's running the kingdom now, and man, the old man's gone. I finally defeated I'm finally going to get his attention. I finally showed him I'm something. You know what happens next? First, or 2 Samuel 16, verse 21. Absalom's buddy here. I'm sure they had to have a nickname for him because this is just so bad. Okay. Said unto Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines, which have left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall all the hands of, that, of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, the a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Hear me out. It's going to take some maturity. The very thing that got this thing rolling is now what is, or is now what is, is now what Absalom is doing. Remember, he hated that his brother, his half brother, slept, forced himself upon his half sister. Now he's on the top of the house, so all the nation of Israel can see him forcing himself upon his, on his father's father's concubines, his father's girl. The very thing that he hated his dad for not dealing with, he's now doing. Isn't that crazy? This influence of the father man, has some crazy power. And the reason Absalom had such a problem, and I could tell you story after story of adults that they hated something about their dad and they hated it so much they weren't going to be that. And all of a sudden, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, they're that. You know what's so crazy? Is that, man, what happened in Absalom's life, and I don't know if you know it, maybe it's not, we'll talk about some of that, is that David broke his father's power in Absalom. Let me explain this thing. Write down on your notes the father factor. The father factor. What set him on such a course? 
What got him into the fight with his dad. It said like David being in a fight with his heavenly father. Through the submission of his dad. Was this whole thing of the father factor. Proverbs 17.6. Says this. Children's children are the crown of old men. Okay, I just want to pause. Children's children. The grandchildren are the crown of old men. Okay, I don't know what your grandfathers are like. But my, my dad with my, my kids, his grandkids. He spoils them to death. He has time for them. Like he would probably even change their diapers. He, he would, you know, whatever they wanted, they get. Fudgesicles, they, you can have 10. You know, you know what fudgesicles are? They're like this heaven on a stick, right? And, and so man, all the time in the world he'll take for them. And I'm sitting there at times, I have a good dad. I'm like, where was this dad when I was growing up? Where was this? Right? Like, you, you, you like move the world for my grand, which I love, I'm glad. You move the world for him, but man, if I wanted one thing, it's like, no, you gotta use your allowance and you get a quarter a week. <laughs> I'm just joking. But you know what I mean? Here, you don't have to teach a lot of times grandma and grandpa's this thing. They just do it. But then you have this. The rest of this verse here. He said the little words. It says this. The glory of children. Are their fathers. Now I always read that verse wrong. Because I had it in context of that. That first part. That, okay yeah. My glory are my children. Like yeah. Just like a crown to them. I'm like oh yeah. They're my glory. No no no. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that the glory of children their fathers. Mean what they hand. That deep down in them is that they want to please their dad. Their glory is their dad. And moms, I don't want to man, I hope you get this ladies in the room, moms in the room, like it doesn't disvalue the mother, but it's a very important reason. We'll see here in a second. God puts in you the moment you're born this desire to please the one that you call or maybe you don't want to call it that. This is where son starts to feel some of the hurt. I don't want to though. Stay with me. Look here. Look at the board here. When a child is born, they come into the world with this built-in pleasing father mechanism. Think about it in that way. In other words, when a child is born into this world, their heart is fixed upon their father. This is so crucial. When you came out of the womb, whether you knew it or not, there's something that was in you. You didn't know which way was up. You didn't know where the beginning was. You didn't know what to do. But something in you, from the moment you were born, this longing to glorify that dad in your life. And we see it as we kind of grow up a little bit. We say things like this. My dad could beat up your dad. You ever said that? I said that this week to somebody. Uh, where's, where's he at? I was like, I, could, I, I said to you. It's like, my dad could beat up your dad. Right? Why? Why do we say that? 
Why does it matter? And then those dads that you know can't beat up other dads, you say this, well, my dad's smarter than your dad. You ever been in the playground fights over your dad? Why? Why do we do that? It's that father factor, man. There's something in you. Your father's your glory, and you want him to be pleased. You want him to get glory. Something within you longs to glorify him. That's why sometimes the word daddy is the first word a kid would say because, you know, mom, it's sad, right? They carry the baby for nine months and, you know, they go through all the pain and sacrifice and all that jazz. And then the first word is daddy. And you're like, what? My life is a life of sacrifice and I don't even get a name. Okay, a, a word. And so, you know why, though? It's this whole God. God just made this thing really work. It's amazing. When you pop out of the womb, you're always stuck to mommy. And so mommy, you know what she's doing? Here's daddy. Here's daddy. Here's your dad. Here, dad needs to change you. Dad needs to wrap you up. Dad needs to hold you now. The whole time she's presenting. If it's in a, in a biblical relationship that God ordained and how it was supposed to work. Here's dad. Here's dad. Here's dad. Which, by the way, time out, mothers. If you can just keep presenting your kid to the father. And you know, if the father ain't there, you keep presenting the kid to the Heavenly Father. They'll get this thing. But you know what sometimes single moms do? They try to be dad and mom. They'll be mom. They present them to a father. Not good enough. But here's the deal. So that just amplifies this father thing in you. I was in a, my dad would take me into the detention center. In this detention center, we had these problem teens, and these were some of the hard ones. Like one kid, he had taken a, a pen knife and stabbed his bus driver in the neck. And these are rough dudes. So here comes all these church kids. <laughs> Teenagers were, it's our youth group. We actually canceled our youth night because they wanted us to come on Wednesday night. So we actually canceled our youth night and went going to these detention centers. So here's these good old church white boys and you know and they had different stereotypes different you know races and all that stuff in this place and so these guys are from the street and so we played basketball with them you know we, we had to play street ball and we had to prove ourselves i mean we're getting elbows we're getting fouls we're not calling anything i remember taking one of the church kids he, he gets ticked because he just got fouled hard and he's about to come at one of the guys and i took him and i threw him up against the wall yeah <laughs> then it was james He's like, we're not doing this. This is not the purpose. Right? They just were rough. But they wanted us to see if we could prove ourselves. And so we're there. And, and man, like, we, we would sing these old hymns. And they loved it. It was crazy. And then my dad would give a devotion. They became brothers, man. We just began to have relationships with them. And we'd spend Christmas with them and take gifts. And it just was a sweet time. But my dad one night was kind of talking about this thing. And he said, let me ask you, if I could somehow come into your life and just take out the bitterness, take out the hurt that you may have in your dad, the wounds, the scars. I mean, some of these guys have never seen their dad in their life. Some of these guys were drug babies. Some of these guys, man, the dad come in and out anytime he just needs some money. You just pop in. And I said, he's like, I could mm, take all that away, all the hurt. If I could just get a moment where all that's gone, can I ask you something? You still want to please your dad. And man, 
man, they just started breaking down. One by one, I, I just want to hear my dad say, I love you. I mean, these are guys that have seen death and probably been part of it. And they're sitting there crying with us. And I just want to hear my dad say, he's proud of me. He's pleased. He loves me. See, the father factor is a real deal. It's biblical, but it's also, you can see it practically. We see it even maybe in the terms that we say. We say like things like, fill the blank with me. All right? So, ready? Like father-like. Huh. He's just a chip off the old. Hmm. The apple doesn't fall far, uh, fall far from the... Well, he's just following it in his father's. Huh. See, we also, in our terminology, we see this occur. It's weird, isn't it? Now, almost every person in this room knows those little one-liners. Why do we know that? Because there's this unbelievable power that our fathers hold. And listen on the board. God purposely built father power into the human equation to teach you about himself. See, the way he got this thing going, man, he, he wanted the father, he wanted Adam to reproduce himself into his sons. See, Adam was called a son of God. And so when Adam was to have kids, he was to reproduce God in them. Adam was to be just a picture to them and but what happened, man, sin came in and it fractured that whole thing. It, messed, it began to mess up the picture. But it still can be had in a spiritual setting. We can still see and, man, accept this position that God has given our dads. And that's why God gave the title to our dads, the same title that he holds for himself, which is Father. I mean, do you think, I mean, God's called Father over and over. We'll see that tonight. Do you think God just ran out of words? Like, let's see. You know, these guys are already called fathers. Let me think of a better word to call myself. Or I'm called a father, and so I don't want them to have the same title as me. So let me think of a different word for them. No. He gave our dads the title Father. For the reason to show us what a father should be. To show what he would be in our lives. Your father, listen, this is the freeing part. This is will help you. This is the things that we'll move forward with tonight. Your father, all he was meant to do was paint a picture. That's why he was put in your life was to simply paint the picture of the Heavenly Father. So that when you came into a personal relationship with God the Father, you would have a running start. Because you had a great picture from the moment you came into this world. See, Father power was designed by God to, use, to be used to affect up to three or four generations in a positive way. This Father factor can be positive. See, look at Psalm 78. It says this. 
For he established a testimony in Jacob and deployed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation that come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. You see, when a father exercises his power right, his influence right in a kid's life, in a teen's life, and he doesn't break them, it can impact three to four generations. They can have a righteous genealogy, a righteous cycle. The father would have that power to impact in a positive way. And it would continue, verse 7, might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Verse 8, and might not be as their fathers, ones that had broken it, a stubborn or rebellious generation. Here's why this is so important. Here's why. The father was placed in your life. This was the ideal situation. This is what the father was meant to do for you. We're going to fly through these, okay? So write down as quickly as possible. A father was to help a child find the answers to the foundational questions of life through a relationship with their earthly father during the developmental years of their life. Listen. Why gave you a dad? that he wanted the dad to have the responsibility to develop you in these early stages of life. Whoa, dads, we got a high responsibility. Hey, ladies, you better be careful who you pick for your husband. If you're going to have kids, they've got a high responsibility to picture God in that relationship. And you're like, well, what's my role? You're to picture the church. And that's a pretty... Pretty important thing, too. You know what a father is supposed to bring during those developmental years? He's supposed to bring these things. He's supposed to give you an identity. If you didn't get that, your counselor wrote it down, so get it later. Right, counselor? Okay, so your dad in those developmental years was supposed to give you an identity. So you can answer the question, who am I? My dad did this in this way. He said, hey, Code, when you go out in the world, you represent three things. You represent Code. Right? And that's, that's your name. I gave you that name. That's, that's who you represent. But you also have the name Blaze. And so you represent the Blaze family. But the most important thing is that you now have the name Christian. And you represent our God. It was so cool. My dad didn't say, my God. He said, he would say, our God. I represented it. And so he he helped form some of my identity. He, and a father is supposed to bring security. I mean, what that answers the question is, does anyone care? That's not me. Does anybody care where I'm going? Does anybody care where I'm doing? And does anyone care about me? And a father is meant to bring belonging. To answer the question, where do I fit? Where do I fit my family? Where do I fit in this world? Where do I fit in this whole scheme and this whole purpose and this whole plan? Where do I fit? The Father is supposed to be, bring significance. What am I worth? And ladies, man, this one's big for you. 
That's why some may be so boy crazy. Because they haven't found their significance through their physical father. So they're going to have to go find it somewhere else. Purpose. Why am I here? And this is why in Teen World you see, man, a lot of decisions being made, and then next week they make a different decision. And they make a different decision. They can never just kind of stay the course because they just don't know what their purpose is yet. Because it wasn't given by their physical father. And then confidence. Can I do it? Can I really do this? Can I really make it in this life? Is there hope for me? I'm just going to be a failure. I'm going to keep messing up. Can I do this? You know, Father is meant to do this through certain ways. And I just, these are things you just need to write down, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit is going to prick, is going to hit certain hearts. He's supposed to give you a meaningful touch, He's supposed to give you affection. Because of the culture we in, we're in, our dads sometimes don't know how to give us that, just, that dad love, that right, good, healthy, godly, holy love. And our dads are supposed to do all these things, identity, security, and all that stuff through a spoken message. He's supposed to communicate with us. And, and I know some of your dads, like, you know what was so crazy? The, the statistic, my statistic I heard, the dad only has seven seconds of meaningful conversation with their kid a day. You're like, what? Well, man, you know, because parents work and because of all this stuff that's happening now, they, man, a lot of times the dad's gone before the kids are up. The kids are at school all day. And the dad gets home, they've got homework, they have extracurricular activities, they're at some sports, and dad's just sitting there on the sideline, and if dad isn't engaged in the car because he's you know, watching YouTube while he's driving or playing you know, some game on his phone while he's going, or Facebook, or whatever it may be, or listening to some talk radio, or whatever it may be, they get home. Now that it's past dinner, they had to pick up McDonald's, so the seven seconds is, hey, do you have what do you want, cheeseburger, or you want McNuggets? They get home, they eat in the car, so they're not really talking. They get home, now it's time for bed. Dad sits down and starts to veg on the TV. And all day long, they haven't had more than seven seconds talking to dad. So, another thing, they're supposed to show those six things that we talked about is attaching high value to the distinction. He's supposed to, the father's meant to purpose to come in to any new life. Good job, man. I'm proud of you. You got it. Man, what you did out there just mm, made me so glad to be your dad. And he's supposed to bring us word. He's also supposed to be picturing a special future. He, he's supposed to give you expectations. Not ones like, man, you should be a warrior. But taking biblical expectations, hey, this is the kind of man I want you to be. This is the kind of woman I want you to be. This is the kind of man I want you to find. This is the kind of woman I want you to find. Here's what the Bible says. It begins to instill character and have this expectation and hold you to it. 
I'm a guy that uh, man, life of drugs and these 30 some years I spent up I ship my family off with his family and I detoxed with them for three weeks I locked the door every night but he, he detoxed with me I detoxed with him right? it's crazy the ups and the downs and all that. we got through the detox and and we just began to do life together and just helping him along. And he's like, Toad, 30 something years old. I think he's 36 years old. I've never been held accountable. I wanted my dad so much to say, Stop. I wanted my dad to come in and hold me accountable, give me some expectations. <clears throat> now, 36 years, I mean, he one year spent $80,000 on drugs. Himself. I wanted my dad to say, no. He's burning fires and his dad still wasn't paying attention. And he needed someone to come in and give him some accountability, some high expectations. And then also, our dads are supposed to have an active commitment. And that'd be in a form of provision. I'm committed to you, so I'm going to provide for you. We don't have time to go through all the verses that would prove those things out. We're definitely running out of time now. But here's the deal. All those things your physical father was supposed to do. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he goes there like, man, miss that one, miss that one, miss that one, miss that one. And I know I'm talking about some of you guys that, man, your 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 father is a church leader, a deacon. You know, maybe they've been around for a while. Maybe they're a Sunday school teacher. I, you know, I know I'm hitting some homes. I'm, I know I'm hitting some hearts. And you guys why the whole day process here, but the whole reason your dad was put in your life is seen on the board so that a child can find the answers to the foundational questions of life eventually through their heavenly father for the rest of their life. Listen, I've got Hosanna, Selah, and Wilder. Those are my three kids. Hosanna's nine, Selah's six, and Wilder's three. Or four. I'm right. He's the last one, but no, I'm just joking. Listen, I, I can't wait for the day. I just, I'm like, I'm, I'm living for this day too. Maybe this is my fourth one with my kids. I get, I get to sit down, look them in the eyes, and say, "Hey, man, I have loved, I have loved every minute being your dad, and I loved it." It has been an honor for me to be your dad. That was just a picture. Just a picture. And I know I failed you as parents. I know I didn't do it all right. But I'm handing you over to the Heavenly Father. He's going to fill every one of those gaps. And all I wanted to do make that transition easy. I just wanted you to be able to come and, and be able to run with your father, not learn how to walk, not learn to go through all the trials and steps and all the things. I just want to get you to a place where you see God in me so that when you meet God or when they're maybe saved when I'm having this conversation, but when you now get serious about your relationship with God, you know what it looks like. The Father was meant to be in your life. And the thing is, 
So our fathers break that. They break that influence. They break that power. And it becomes a negative force in our life instead of a positive. You know why a child turns his heart away from his father? Because the child's heart is broken. That father factor is broken. The, the pleasing father mechanism breaks when the child's heart is broken and it can be done through the simplest things. You know, some of you, it's hard to obey. And the only reason you obey is because you don't want to get in trouble. But it's not because you love your dad. And you don't want to honor him. And some of you guys have some good cases. Probably why you, why you really don't want to. Some of you, your dad ain't around. Some of you wish your dad wouldn't come around. And all of that goes down to some kind of hurt. Potentially you're full of anger. And that hurt, it's there. Because number two, the father fracture. This father thing has been fractured in your heart and mind. Listen, I'll, I'll end with this. Okay? So we got to stop there. You're like, you're waving me on a cliff. Right? Yeah, you might now know that you're hurt. And we'll talk about the fracture a little bit tonight and go into the healing side of things. But what was supposed to happen? This is how my dad did to me. He, you know, being a youth pastor's kid, you know, you're the you're the illustration like all the time. Like, and I had to I had another brother, Hudson, like you. Right? And I had a younger brother. He's 16 months younger than me, and so we were always the illustration. And you know, whatever was going on in our home, that's what the message was. <laughs> teams, man. Just somehow it worked. And so one morning he brings me in front of the teens, and I'm about 16 years old, and he ties a rope to me. And he takes the other side of it. And he said, Yeah, this is kind of how the relationship's supposed to work. As I'm closer to my son in his early years, the rope is a little shorter. And then I, I, as he's responsible and faithful, I give him a little more slack, and I give him a little more slack. And you know what? When he abuses that responsibility, I gotta pull him in. I gotta pull him in. So he's kind of talking me like all over the place, right? And so and he's like, "Hey, you can fight this all you want, but my responsibility is to train him." And so, man, he's he's like, "Man, so if I say go this way, he goes this way. Go that way, go that way. He's just his role is just to submit. My role is just to lead." If he does that well, man, and, and as the time went, the rope's pretty long now. And I'm way over there, and he's way over here. He said, you know what? The role of the father, though, is that one day, let go of the rope. And it's now you and God. I'm not the father now anymore. Now the Heavenly Father and you, and what is so crazy is that I just knew my dad so well when he was saying this, he stopped looking at the crowd, he's looking at me, and he's looking me in the eyes. And I got children. Right you know what I do when he's saying? You're God's now, man. Let you go. Between you and God now. Things I begin like, man, you know 
made it so easy to transfer over to my father. Made it so easy to come into communication with God and know how to interact because it's been doing it with my dad. My brother's 16 months younger than me. Say that. He's full of rage. He gets along with my dad, but he's got some hurts and wounds. And fractured that father power, and he's been on a totally different course. He's still a good moral dude. He's still a church kid. He goes to church here and there. He does this and that. You know, he still prays. He still sleeps, whatever the things. But when I come to him, my dad is broken. It has totally hindered his relationship. How can that be? I grew up in the same youth group and the same dad. Because I knew what to do with the fracture, and I did it, and he did it. Listen, if you're here and you're like, I'm hurting, man, some of the things you're saying, I didn't have that dad, he wasn't around, he did this, he said this, you know, I see some hypocrisy or whatever they may be. Man, I had to, my dad was the pastor, right? He's the youth pastor. I saw stuff. Man, who, why do I, man. There's things that I'm like, what? If I knew what to do with the fracture, my brother, for whatever reason, didn't figure it out and didn't, or didn't follow it. And it literally set us on two different courses. So let me ask you now. And it's not a pity party because we're going to get to healing. What victory? But because of that, I'm in the fight because of the submission to my dad. My brother... He's 33 years old and he's still out of the fight. The dude is super gifted. The dude blows me out of the water. Like he's got more talent in his pinky finger than I've got in my whole being. He's out of the fight. Because he never dealt with the fracture. I said, can I ask you something? Just be honest with you. Hey, if I had a show of hands, hey, you know, Cody, I feel like that's fractured in my life. The father thing, will you raise your hand? Is there anybody that's so brave? I said, man, that thing's fractured. Yeah, thank you. That's something. It takes some courage, yeah. It's fractured. Right, and roll with this tonight. And you'll hope to find you some healing so that you then can actually, see, if you don't deal with that, you can't see your Heavenly Father for who He is because always looking through the lens of your physical Father. And we're going to deal with some of that tonight. But also some of you that maybe didn't raise your hand, I'm going to show you how to keep that father power in your life. So you're like, David, you're ready to face the giants. Okay, I'm going to pray and Stephen can do whatever he wants to do. Father, just thank you for this morning. And I just feel like, man, we got to the place and we got to cut it off. I even went over and I just apologize. But I just pray that we would see how important this father factor is when it comes to the battle. Because through our submission of our physical father, that translates to the submission to you. So when you say go, when you say do, when you say fight, we don't have to question it. And so Lord, show us and those things. Let us not lose the ground that we made this morning. When we come back tonight, ready, ready to figure this thing out so that we can get in the fight. We love you in your name. Amen.